Welcome everyone, and we want to welcome all of you watching us by live stream. We're very honored to have you, and we believe God has something very special for you today. We don't believe that you're here by accident, and we don't believe that you're watching us on stream by accident, and we are super excited. And so I want to encourage everyone here, and I want to encourage those watching us by live stream. You can be a one-minute missionary, literally 45 seconds of your life, and you can be a missionary today. Just take your finger, go to your Facebook page, and hit share the stream. And you can share the message with all of the people that probably need it, all your heathen friends, all your believing friends, and all your friends that are out there in uh, social media land. Share the stream, and uh, it's a great opportunity for evangelism, and people get to hear the gospel, and it's a really good thing. So I'm going to quote uh, for you F. Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, right. You impressed, right? Okay. Some people desire nothing more from life than to sit by a river. All right? I mean, it'd be nice to sit by a river. The problem is, is that we're not made to sit by a river. We're made to do something. Understand? So we're talking about a hope and a future. And so Shakespeare says this. Some people were born for greatness. Some people discover greatness. And other people have greatness thrust upon them. We're all born for greatness. You were born for something great. You know it. You feel it. Right? We're born that way. Ask a little kid what they want to be. Nobody says, I want to be a loser. They know what they want to be. They know who they want to be. They want to be an astronaut. They want to be someone significant. They want to be a fireman. They want to be a mom. They want to be a teacher. They want to be all these different things because we're born with greatness in us. We're born from greatness. We're born to do something a little bit more than sit by a river. We're created for greatness. So you're like, okay, define greatness, Pastor Kevin, and I will let uh, Miriam Webster defined greatness. Greatness is a mark or a quality of distinction or excellence. All of us are called to leave a mark of distinction. All of us are called to leave a mark of quality. And all of us are called to leave a mark of excellence. We're called to greatness. Greatness can be your family. Greatness can be your neighborhood. Greatness can be your city. Greatness can be your state or the world. This is, this is the layers of greatness. But all of us are called to greatness. This is an absolute fact. Part of the frustrations in our lives is we move away from the very things that echo within our hearts. The very things that God put within our hearts, the echoes of our heart. So we're talking about having a hope in a future. And this is a really good, if you, if you need a plan, if you're like, like looking, going, man, I just wish somebody would give me a plan. I really want to be on God's plan, but I really don't know how to get on God's plan. Wish granted. Today's your day. So I want to encourage you to, if you're here, take pictures of the slides. If you're watching and you want the slides, just go e- elevate Miami Church at Gmail. And we will email you the slides, and the slides of the teaching are important just because the last three, there's only four, but three of the four slides have some points on it that you can kind of interact with. I'm going to be just discussing different things, and they just give you a couple of things where you can go, oh, that's me, oh, that's me. And, you know, so part of the plan is understanding not just your basic design, but understanding your specific design. So ask for that. We'll give it to you. God says this, Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know, say this with me, Jesus knows Right. The thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not of trouble, plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows he has plans for you. Okay, so here's the deal. God's always in a good mood. And he says to you, I know what I think towards you. I know the plans that I have for you. I know how and why I've created you. The question isn't whether God knows. The question is, do you know? That's the question. So God knows why he made you. God knows what he thinks towards you. God knows what his heart is towards you. His heart is always good. His desire for you is always good. 
His, his thoughts relate to the intentions of his heart. So when God says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, I know what my heart intends for you. I know how I see you. I know how I perceive you. I know what I want for you. Thoughts relate to plans. The plans that God has for you are in relationship to your created design. I know how I've planned your life. I know what I've planned out for you. It's possible for God to have a plan for your life and you never operate on it. We just think God's going to do anything. Oh, God's got a plan for my life. God's plan is going to work out the way it was. No, it's not. No, it's not. He's not going to do anything for you. He's going to do everything with you. You can't do it without him, and he won't do it for you. A pastor sent me an email one time and says, God's already done everything. There's nothing we need to do. I'm like, okay. You, know, you have to do something. Even though Christ has paid for salvation, it still requires you to do something. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? You have to give your heart to Jesus or the promise is not activated. Everything God gives us is activated. His promises are activated by our participation. God wants willful participation from us. So God says, I know the thing is, do you know? And he says, my plans for you are the purpose for your existence. Say this with me. I am created. Come on. Come on. Come on, Miami. I am created on purpose with a purpose. I am created on time and in time. Acts 17 says God determined when you would be born and the time and the season that you would be born in. What you choose to do in that time and what you choose to do in that hour is up to you. We live in the greatest time ever. I don't think there's ever a time in history when you wouldn't, when you wouldn't want to be in this time. We have access to so many things. We have an understanding and, and, and ability to do so many things that no one, no one ever had. You know, we want to have all kinds of excuses. Your grandparents didn't have the internet, ladies and gentlemen. You do. You know, we can't cry poor when we have the internet. Apostle Paul didn't have the internet. And he proclaimed the gospel to the known world. There's so many things that we have access to in our generation that previous generations don't, didn't have. We're on the cusp of seeing Jesus return. Whether he comes in my lifetime or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that he's coming. And the odds are him coming more in this lifetime than they were in the previous lifetime. The, the things are, this is exciting times. Say, COVID's bad. Yeah, but Jesus is good. No? Society's hopeless. God's got a plan, man. God is able to bless you. When Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah 29, they were in a place they didn't want to be in circumstances that were not favorable to them. And God blessed them in the place they didn't want to be under circumstances that were not favorable to them. He blessed them. Yeah. He blessed them so much that they were only supposed to be there 70 years and the majority of them didn't want to come home because they got so blessed. Yeah. So if God's able to bless them in a place they don't want to be and in circumstances that are not favorable to you, to them, is he able to do the same for you? Of course he is. He'll bless you. He'll take care of you. I believe the church prospers. When, 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 the, when everything goes dark in the world, the church light shines. The gospel light shines. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The Bible says darkness has covered the land and deep darkness the people. But arise, shine, because your light has come. In other words... We're not under the darkness of the land, and we're not under the deep darkness of the people. We are lights in the noonday. Rise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen where? Upon us. Okay? We have an opportunity to succeed when everything else is washing out. We will go high when everybody else is just falling apart. doesn't matter. We prosper in season and out. doesn't matter the season. God's not limited by the seasons in this world. God's not limited by the times and the seasons within this world. He can bless you in season and out. Isaac sowed in the time of famine. Anybody know the story? And did what? Reaped a hundredfold. 
Was God limited by blessing Isaac because of the famine? God had no limitation. Isaac, the servant of the Lord, was blessed a hundredfold, said Isaac saw the Lord and he sowed, he gave, he was obedient, he did what God told him to do in the time of famine when nobody was doing anything. Everybody was freaking out, panicking, keeping everything back for themselves, shoving it away, you know, kind of squirreling everything away in their little closets. The Bible says Isaac obeyed the Lord, saw the Lord, and did what the Lord told him, and he reaped a hundredfold. In a time of famine, God's not limited. He can bless you. Great transfers of wealth are happening right now. We say these things, this is what we say, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. These are things that Christians say, right? And that's a promise. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. But are we able to recognize when wealth is being transferred? Right? Wealth's being transferred right now. Right now. Wealth is changing hands right now. Question is, is will you position yourself to be in line with that wealth transfer? Wealth is always being transferred, always. Question is, is it's up to you. It's dependent upon you. His thoughts and his plans. It's not about money, Kevin. It's not about money. Yeah, tell that to your landlord. Tell that to the bank. Tell that to the grocery store. Tell that to your, to your car loan. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it, what are you talking about? Money, of course, is a tool. Money's an instrument. That's all it is. That's all it is. Money gravitates to the people who understand it most. Money does not come to the people who want it most. Money comes to the people who understand it most. Hmm? Jeremiah was asking a guy, this really wealthy guy, he's like, what, what do I do? How do I make money? What do I, blah, blah, blah. And what did he tell you? He told you, go and learn money, didn't he? And Jeremiah comes to me and goes, I can't understand why this guy told me to go and learn money. I go, dude, he just gave you the key to the kingdom. I said, you don't even understand what he said to you. He's telling you, understand how money works. Before you do anything, understand how money works because money goes to the person, to people who understand it most. Money leaves the people who understand it least. Leaves. Money is a tool. We either work for money or we get the money to work for us. One way or the other. The way you understand money is the money must work for you. Just a thought. His thoughts and his plans, Somebody, somebody's here looking for an, up, for an out, looking for an up. Somebody there's looking for an out, looking for an up. God says, do you know what I have for you? I have a plan and a purpose. I'm having a hard time. God's got a plan and a purpose. It's a famine. God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. Are you going to partner with his plan? See, people that get stimulus tax, they blow it, right? They blow it. To get a stimulus tax, you should 10x that stimulus check. No, I need that new flat screen. I got to have that iPhone 560. You know, I got to have that new phone. That's what people do. They don't understand money. They don't understand it. They, they buy luxuries and not assets. They don't understand money. On purpose with a purpose, in time and on time. Our job as believers is to pursue God for his will. We're supposed to pursue him for the will of God in our lives and through our lives. So it's not just about the will of God in your life. The ultimate goal is about the will of God through your life. It's not about just you. God gives it to you in order to get it through you. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are increased that you might increase, multiply, and affect the world around you. It's not about you. It's about him. Whatever the purpose of God is for your life, influence, transformation, there's all kinds of things that God will, will manifest his purpose. But the first goal is to get the purpose to you and then to get the purpose through you. Believers often stop in one of those three stages. 
They either don't know the purpose of God, so nothing happens, or they do know the purpose of God, and they think that it's all about them, and they never pursue the purpose of God through their lives. The way the river flows is it's unto you and through you, unto you and through you. It's actually the ministry of the priest, unto the Lord, from the Lord, unto the people, unto the Lord, from the Lord, unto the people. Charmaine did a wave offering. She was doing a wave offering in the first service. She was like, we're going to give Jesus a wave offering. It's actually a priestly wave offering in the, in the Old Testament. And the wave offering went like this, like this, and then like this. That's how they waved. They were actually, the priests were actually making the sign of the cross. They didn't even know it. Right? You have Old Testament priests doing this. Or they would do this before the people. They would wave, before the, they would wave it unto the Lord, from the Lord unto the people. That's how we relate to our purpose, as we get it from the Lord, unto the Lord. We begin to surrender aspects of our lives, beginning to receive back from him, and then allowing the purpose to come through our lives that it might be a blessing to other people. This is how God's work purpose works. So I just want to encourage you to do that. I want to challenge you to do that. I want to push you forward in these, in these ways. There's the American gospel, and there's the kingdom gospel, and I'm going to talk to you a minute about that. But before that, I want to just encourage you guys to take pictures of the slides again. So... Say this with me. Jesus' plan in my life is related to three things. Basic design, specific design, and my obedience to pursue and align with those things. All right? So this, some of this is a review of last week because I kind of ran out of time last week, but this was some pretty important stuff, but it's okay to review it. So what is your basic design? Every human being has a basic design. We're all created by the Lord, and we're all created for the Lord. If you're in Christ, this applies even more. If you're outside of Christ, you need to come to Jesus. But if you're in Christ, this is, what, this is why Christians' lives, okay, so we're a kingdom people. We're supposed to operate by kingdom purposes, and we're supposed to see the kingdom manifest through our lives. Yet if we look around, it's dysfunctional at best. In most people, the operation of the kingdom in their life is not functional at all, at all. I was just listening to a teacher. He says, what we do is we, um, we esteem, uh, I mean, I say it, I just say it a little differently, but I'm trying to use his words. It's like we, we esteem certain values. We esteem like knowing of something rather than experiencing the thing to speak. And so what he'll say is, is what we do in the church is we teach Jesus about the God of miracles, yet the teachers themselves cannot manifest a miracle, nor do we teach the people how to manifest miracles. I'm not talking about signs and wonders. That's one aspect of a miracle. Okay? We have people here that are being promoted in the middle of COVID, getting double their wages in the middle of COVID, getting bonuses and increases in the middle of COVID. Again, it's not about financial. I'm not focusing on the financial, but that's something that we all can understand, can't we? We, we, we can all understand money. Right? That's one of the things Jesus talked about because everybody understands money. We can all understand eating, so he's talking about eating, working and eating. That's why he's talking about that because we can all understand that. So God has given us this. and So God can manifest miracles in your life, not just signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are miracles. How about getting back something that you lost? I gave a word in first service where I felt like it was for him. I said, God's going to give you the fields of your enemies. I said, some of you, the enemy has been attacking you. There have been people who have taken things from you. There have been people who have stood over you and have pressed you down for so long, and they've taken what you have had, and they've used it against you, and they're mocking you with what they have. And I said, I feel like the Lord is saying he's going to give you the fields of your enemies. He's going to give you that, and he's going to require those who opposed you to occupy the position that you once had. 
Nothing will humble you more than by occupying the position of the person you once dismissed. You want to get humble? Then you end up occupying the person of the one person you once dismissed. That will give you understanding of what humility really is. is people that you dismiss, you now occupy their place. That makes us humble. God makes our enemies our footstools. He does. He makes us triumphant. Christians are taught to be nice. The Bible doesn't teach you to be nice. <laughs> Some of the stuff that we, and I'm not talking about being nice to people, but we get nice like this. When God, make, when God gives you the field of your enemies, we're like, well, I don't know. I just, I just feel bad for them, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm taking their field. I, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell you to feel bad. If you look at what Jesus says, he take, says, take it from them and give it to the other. Read his word. Jesus isn't like, oh, I feel so bad for the faithless one. I feel so bad. You know, you, try, you didn't even try. Well, first of all, you couldn't even use try because the person didn't try. Read the parable of the talents. He took it from the faithless one and gave it to the faithful one. Did he not? Did he feel bad about it? Did he give any empathy there? No. No. When God makes your enemies your footstool, when he takes those who have oppressed you and puts them beneath you, and he puts you in a position now over them. Now you're supposed to act justly. You're supposed to not oppress them in return. But what God does is he flips the script, right? So my enemies are my puts, so it doesn't mean I act wickedly to them. But what he does is he takes those who've oppressed you and he puts you in a position of authority over them. And then we feel bad. Oh, I feel bad. My enemies are my footstool. It's a promise. Why are you feeling bad? You know? giving you the fields of your enemies. Why are you feeling bad? It's not so you can rub it in their face and you can do back to them what they did to you. That's not the point. That's flesh, right? Well, I'm going to do to you what you did to me. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is to turn the tables on you because of the favor that's on your life. God will switch the tables around because you are favored. That's the point. Hopefully I'm making sense. Somebody's going to go, oh, I don't know about that. All right. All right, as far as I'm concerned. So God gives us basic function, so we have to operate according to our basic function. When we don't operate according to our basic function, it's called a dysfunction. Can I get a witness? So if everything's operating correctly, it's a good function. If it's not operating correctly, it's dysfunctional. We can relate this to our car, right? Our car, you know, when everything's going good, hey, man, the car's functioning good. And all of a sudden, you got a little clunk, you got a little stutter, you got a little wobble. Your car's now become dysfunctional. It's not operating according to its design. Something needs to be adjusted. We look at our lives. We're created. Here's the basic design of all of humanity, but this especially applies to the church, but it applies to all mankind. You're created by Jesus, and you're created for Jesus. And here's the big rub to the believer. You don't own you. You don't own you. The Bible says you were bought with a price. You don't own you. You don't. You don't own your time, you don't own your talent, you don't own your treasure, you don't own your body, you don't own your thinking, you don't own any of that. It's not yours anymore. It legally belongs to Jesus. But what Jesus does is we come to him and he sets us free and we become free indeed. So in other words, he releases you. You're free. You can keep it all. You're born again. You can keep thinking the way you're thinking. You're born again. You can keep your money. You're born again. You can keep your time. You're born again, you can keep all of the aspects of your life and you can keep it to yourself completely and still be born again. Say, why would he do that? Because he doesn't put a demand upon you. The demand upon you is love. So what he wants from you is to give it back to him willingly. I have people who want to lecture me. I don't know why we're on giving here this morning. I'm on money for some reason. It keeps coming back to money. Somebody here is like looking for some aspect of money because I can feel the pull. 
right? Because it keeps pulling me back to money. Spirit keeps pulling me back to money. People come to me and they want to give me a lecture on why they don't have to tithe. I'm like, well, dude, I'm not here to convince you to tithe. I'm here to tell you what God requires. So my job is not to enforce God's word to you. My job is to tell you this is his way. And if you disagree with his way, well, I don't know what to tell you. Other than the fact of just adjust, your, adjust what you're expecting. People go, I want God's blessing, but I don't want to do it God's way. Well, I have a verse for you. You're double-minded and you're unstable in all your ways. Let that person believe that they will receive nothing from God. Mm-hmm. Because the Lord says this, and you say this. The mind of Christ says here, but your mind says no. And so double-mindedness, you will not receive the blessing of God because God doesn't bless you on, his, on your terms. I know this is revelatory to the United States of American church and the gospel that we preach, but this is kingdom gospel that I proclaim to you. I don't preach to you American gospel. I preach to you kingdom gospel. And the kingdom gospel will tell you it's not on your terms. It's on his terms. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you won't be provided for. That's what we talk about here. Survival, success, significance. You never have to worry about surviving as a Christian. The Lord is Adonai. He is your benefactor. He'll take care of you. You'll always survive. But I don't want to survive. I want to succeed. And I don't just want to succeed. I want to be significant. That's what separates the men from the boys. That's what separates the girls from the women. Okay? Everybody's, you know, most people just take advantage of God's survival. And you know what? His survival's good. But what if he had more? What if he had another? What if he had, what if he had more levels to than just survival? What if God had something for you, but that that next level requires something of you? No, God's going to give me success without me doing anything. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, he's not. I didn't say you wouldn't survive. I didn't say you were not born again. You're not going to get survival. You're not going to get success without obedience. You're not going to get significance without obedience. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Look around. The church does not operate according to God's principles. We teach this foreign way of, of, of being obedient to the Lord. Like it's make it up as you go along. Tithe if you want to. Well, tithe if you want to, sure. I don't give out of obedience. I give out of honor. He's worthy of it. I don't give because he makes me. I give because he's worthy. I don't serve because he makes me. I serve because he's worthy. Nobody loves me like Jesus. Our obedience unto him is not based, our, when we follow the Lord, obedience is the lowest level of discipleship. And so churches get, you know, we get a little uncomfortable like as Christians because we don't like the obedience and we don't like kind of making people feel that they have to be obedient or making people do anything. It's actually the lowest level of, of discipleship. You're, you're in kindergarten. If, all, if, if you're constantly operating your faith by obedience, you're in, you're in preschool. You're, you're not even... I got to be obedient. I got to look, I am obedient. I make myself be obedient, but I don't live in obedience. I live in honor. Big difference. Big difference. Big shift in the mindset. Big shift in the heart when you go from I have to obey the Lord to I honor the Lord. Does it honor Jesus? I'm doing it. I don't even question. Does me being here honor God? It's without question. Does you giving honor God? It's without question. Then do it. It's not about obedience, it's about honor. That's high level. I don't want to be common. Do you want to be common? Any common Christians here? I don't want to be among average. I don't want to be lost in the crowd. I'm elite. I want to stand out in heaven's eyes. Whether I stand out to people or not, that's irrelevant to me. But what I want to stand out is in my father's eyes. I want him to say, here's one right here. Don't you? Then stop acting common. 
Stop acting like all the rest. Stop, stop lowering your faith to the lowest denominator. Stop doing the least that you can do. Well, I go to church once a month. I'm Christmas and Easter myself, you know, but, you know, that's how we are. I give occasionally. I serve if I feel like it. As long as it doesn't inconvenience me, I'll do it. But don't you ask too much of me. Don't you ever ask. Don't, if you ask of me and it becomes inconvenient to me, I'm not doing it. You're not Lord. He is. You don't understand honor. You understand who he is? You don't understand who you are. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. You're created to know Jesus. You don't belong to you. American gospel says this. It's all about you. This is American gospel. Watch it. Listen for what I'm telling you, and you will hear it. It's about your best life now. And it's about Jesus coming into your life to create for you your best life now. That's American gospel. I'm going to give you kingdom gospel. Here's kingdom gospel. It has nothing to do with you. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you think. It's not about your ideas. It has nothing to do with you. It's about him and him alone. Seek first your best life now and what is right to you, and the Lord will come down upon it and give you everything that you want. That's, not, that's the American gospel. The kingdom gospel says seek first what? The dominion and the rule and reign of Christ in every area. Do what is right to him. Seek first the dominion and the rulership of Christ in every area of your life and do what is right to him. Righteousness is what is right to him. Not what is right to you. It's what is right to him. This is kingdom gospel. Not everybody can palate it. This is meat. We chew on it. We're like, no, I don't like this. Give me more of that ice cream yogurt stuff that you're... And we wonder why we're anemic as believers. We wonder why we have sugar, fit, sugar fits, spiritually diabetic, constantly needing an insulin shot of sugar again because we can't digest the truth. It's just a, just, it's just a thought. It's just something to ponder and something to consider. That's all it is. I'm just a servant. I'm a son who serves my father, and I try to deliver it as he wants. So, so we're created to belong to Jesus, not ourselves. This is kingdom gospel. You want to change your life? Start thinking that way. I don't belong to me. It's not what I want. It's what he wants. It's not what I think. It's what he thinks. I don't have any good ideas. He's the only good idea I have. I don't do anything. Jesus said, I do nothing but what my father shows me. Why did he say that? Because he's the, he's the divine prototype. He's the model of the new creation. When Jesus is doing that, he's not doing that because he's just less than the Father. He's doing that because he's the last Adam, and he's modeling for us what the prototype looks like. The prototype of the new creation does nothing without their Father's guidance. The prototype of the new creation does not have a self-centered will. The prototype of the new creation seeks first the kingdom is what is right to their father. The prototype of the new creation is about their father's business. Everything that they do is integrated with their father's business. Everything. Their music, their money, their finances, every, their marriages, every single thing is integrated with the kingdom. That's the model of the new creation. That's why Jesus said, I don't do anything unless my father says. Look how lowly Jesus is. No, he's a model. You're created to know Jesus. You're created to be, to, to love, to be loved by him. So you're first created to know him and you're created to be loved by him. No, I'm created to love him. No, you're first created to be loved by him. Is our problem. You, we love why? Why do we, anybody know the verse? We love because he what? First loved us. You understand that? So you cannot fully love God until you allow God to fully love you. I need to love God. Not until you let him love you. 
Not until you allow the love of God to begin to permeate you. You begin to allow the acceptance of God and the glory of God to begin to come into you. Then you can understand in order to love him back. You cannot love until you first love him. You first loved. We love because he first loved us. So that's the first thing is letting God love you. Let him go to places. You let him love you, man. We love him at a distance. Let, let him just let him love you. Let him love you. You're created to love him. That's, that's after that, which means give him the best and the deepest part of your life. You're created to honor Jesus, which means he comes first in everything. We do what he says even if we don't agree. Ouch. We do what he says even if we don't agree. We honor him in everything. We prefer him above everything, which is obedience. So that's your, that's your basic design. Our basic, we, have to, we, have to, we have to get this right, and then we go into specific design. Again, most of our Christian teaching is about your specific design. And I'm all in on that. I think we need to know what our specific design is. But we can know our specific design all day long, but if we don't understand our basic design, it doesn't work. I can have a BMW with all the bells and whistles and tools on it, but if it doesn't have the basic engine parts, it's useless. If it doesn't have the basic drivetrain, it's useless. It can look amazing. No, look at the potential this car has. Yeah, but it doesn't have a drivetrain. So where are you going to go without a drivetrain? Basic and then specific. So your specific functions. This is what I want to get to. Right? So we have to, we have to begin to put our lives in order with the, with the basic operation of our life, the basic design. Then we have to understand what our gift sets are. Say this with me. I have a gift set. I have a skill set. And I have a heart set. You want to plan for your future? I'm going to give it to you. Basic design, specific design. What is your gift set? Bible says you have gifts. Every single Christian has gifts. First of all, we got the Holy Spirit. So the ultimate gift, it's all in one. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is an all-inclusive gift. But the Holy Spirit manifests gifts through our lives. What are they? Well, there are, uh, there are signs and wonders, miraculous gifts. There are spiritual gifts in the designation of, of spiritual manifestations. But there's also spiritual manifestations of administration. People that know how to get things done, know how to make things work. So what happens is, is when all of a sudden you have this elevated capacity. You, what a spiritual gift is, a spiritual gift is something that like elevates in your life that was never there before. Or it might be a skill that was good, but now all of a sudden there's something attached to that skill that pushes that skill to another level. That's a gift. So a gift can be in and of itself, or a gift can be something that empowers an existing skill and drives it to another level. Does that make sense? You were organized before you came to Jesus. Now all of a sudden you get in the Holy Spirit and you are really organized. You are seeing signs and wonders in your closet. And you're going to know, I know where every shoe goes. I never knew that before, but now I do. Right? So you, it's an elevated. So we have a gifts of administration. We have apostolic. Apostolic merely means sent one. We talked about this last week, so this we kind of covered. But if, you, if you're somebody that goes in, that's a business person, you have apostolic callings. If you're an entrepreneur, you have apostolic callings because that's what it means. Sent one. Sent to build, sent to go forth. Say, but I'm not building the kingdom. I'm building the business. You're building the business to build the kingdom. That's where you got to connect. You have ministry callings. You have have an apostolic calling to do business. Why? So you can live in a house on the water? No. So that you can fund and propagate the gospel. That's why. So that you can give people jobs, fund and propagate the gospel. It's an apostolic gift. God needs generous benefactors in his kingdom. He'll raise them up. If he does, you don't have to worry about Jesus, he'll raise them up. I tell people that are wealthy all the time, you don't have to worry. Well, I don't give that, like that, Pastor. I'm like, well, don't worry, God will bring another. He'll just slide you off to the side, and he's going to bring someone else. And he'll take someone from among the people. He'll take the least worthy of them all, and he'll establish it through that person. 
God needs no one. He will provide for himself. So when God gives you an opportunity to be that person, it's not because, oh, Jesus needs me. He doesn't need anything. Let's just be clear. He doesn't need me. I'm not needed. But he wants me, and he wants me to do specific things. And so I willingly yield myself to him. Whether I feel like it or not, I do. And so should you. So you have apostolic callings, and you're a business person. You're, you're basically apostolic. Gifts of discernment, so that's a, that's a counseling gift, an interrelational impactor. Talked about evangelism last night, or last week. Uh, evangelism, if, you're, if you are a salesperson and you're really good at sales, you're probably going to be dynamic at evangelism. Dynamic. Sales and evangelism go hand in hand. We don't sell Jesus. Yes, we do. Sales is built off the gospel. You have a problem, here's the solution. Act now. That's the gospel. You have a problem, Jesus is, sin is your problem, Jesus is the solution, act now. But wait, there's more. You get the Holy Spirit, you get future, you get promises, you get destiny. That's sales 101. And you might throw in a set of Ginsu knives for you too, you know? <laughs> People that sell things are extremely gifted at evangelism. Euangelion, it means to herald to speak forth the benefits. That's what evangelism means. What sells? Speaking forth the benefits. We herald the kingdom. You and Galeon. Exhortation, which is an encouragement. That's what Sherry does every, when she comes up here in prayer. That's a gift of exhortation. She's exhorting you. She's encouraging you. She's calling you forth. That's exhortation. That's a gift. And it's an influencer within the body, and it's an influencer within the world. That's a gift. She's not like that normally. But she steps into the spirit, and she's just like, woo! because the gift manifests faith you have the ability to believe god for anything use it go around people and say i'm what do you believe in god i don't believe god for this you know but i'm not too sure if it's going to happen my faith says use your faith use your faith to believe god for big things and share your faith with others we can borrow the faith of each other I had this guy talking about faith i was like i couldn't i, I this theologically correct i watch these guys right I watch these, these guys, and Sherry's like, why do you watch those guys? Because I'm like, I used to be like that. So I'm trying to understand. I mean, I can talk like them, no problem. I can even parse the word like them, no problem. But I don't agree with them entirely. And he was saying, faith is merely trust. I'm like, faith is a lot more than trust, bro. It's a lot more than f- trust. One of the things, you, you can share faith with people. When they lowered the man through the roof, what did Jesus do? What did he see? Why did that guy on the mat get healed? Remember when they ripped the roof off? They rip the roof off the house. They lower the dude down, and the Bible says what? What did Jesus see? The faith of the friends. Did he not? He didn't see the faith of the guy laying on the mat. So the friends loaned the faith to the guy to cause the miracle to happen. You can loan your faith. That's a thought. Believe God for something great in your life and say, I'm going to believe God for something great in your life. That's a gift of faith. You just like to believe God for stuff. Let's believe God. Yes. Whoa. That's faith, man. Giving, generosity, healing, which also can apply for restoration. You like to restore things. There's multi- Look, I'm not talking about just spiritual manifestations of healing. I'm all in. But I'm talking about their gifts of healings in the book of Romans. Spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, right? Restoration is another one that would apply to healing. Helps, hospitality, the welcoming of strangers. These are all gifts. Knowledge, wisdom, leadership, mercy, prophetic, which means to speak forth, speaking in tongues, teaching, which is shepherding and gathering. That's another aspect of it. So you have a gift set. The question is, is where's your gifts lie? You can go online, and if you look up free spiritual gift assessment, you'll find one. They're everywhere. 
you know, you look up two or three and you can do a spiritual gift assessment and it'll relate you back to the things I'm talking about here. You can go, oh, I got this gift, I got that gift. You know, yeah, you got it. You got to develop it and use it. But yeah, that, it'll show you a little bit about yourself. It's not perfect, but it'll give you a kind of a, a direction. You have a heart set. So what's your heart set? So we're going to talk about gift set, heart set. So what is her heart? What are you passionate about? What makes you come alive? What must be done? So I was, Diana was here last week. So Diana loves music, right? All you got to do is get a conversation going on music or creativity, and she's just going to go, woo, I got to talk, right? So um, she's going to be the administrator of, of the preschool as we open this. And she goes, you know, I want to do the preschool, but I'm not really excited about being the administrator of the preschool. And she's like, I am really excited about what God is doing with this worship team. You know, she'll, she'll talk like that. And so there's a lady like last week. Her name was Amelia. And uh, I introduced Amelia. I don't know if Amelia's here. If she's not, I don't know. But she, I introduced Diana to Amelia. I said, hey, Amelia, this is Diana, Diana, this is Amelia. And I'm just trying to introduce her around to some few people. And Diana goes, you like music? And she's like, oh, I love music. And then the conversation just went boom. And so I just like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to introduce her to anyone. And they just talked for a long time. And why is that important? Because it's what she's passionate about. What she's passionate about relates to what, how she's made, right? So it's not just our gift set, it's also our heart set. What makes you come alive? So you have to look at, say, what, what, what do I care about? What makes me come alive? And there's another one, what must be done? A must is a driver of the heart, okay? You understand that? We have to do something about this. I don't know what we're supposed to do, but we have to do something. That, again, that's a heart set. So I'm trying to get you guys to understand how God's plan. What's God's will in my life? That's probably one of the most common questions Christians answer. I'm showing it to you. Yeah, but this just seems like so much work. What's God's will? Oh, and then there it is. I mean, we want, we want Burger King, you know. Get, where's my fast food? We want, it doesn't work like that. There's a process to this. What makes you come alive? What must be done? These are important. Do you get excited about ideas? Do you get excited about improving things? Do you get excited about influence, experience, quality, efficiency, serving, people, purpose? What, what do you care about? What drives you? What compels you? Your gifts. So the, different, the way these things lay out, they lay out, they lay out in categories. There's gifts of organization. There's gifts that relate to direction. There's gifts that are motivating. There's gifts that are interpersonal impacting. So there are gifts that impact people, right? They just, that's their design. They're, give, they're designed to, you, you have these, you have something in here. They're gifts that create ideation, and they're gifts that create creativity. So then it's like, what is your ability? So what's your skill set? So you have, your, you have your, uh, your gift set, you have your heart set, and then it's your skill set. What are you good at? Are you good at entertaining? You like to welcome people? You like to entertain in your home? You like to create hospitality? Can you, can you sing? Can you, you know, are, you, are you gifted? So I would say this, because this is like, I want to bless you. Anybody, you ever had anybody bless you with gifts they don't have? You ever have that? Have it? I want to gift you with a song, Pastor. I'm kind of like, I don't know if I really want you to gift me with a song. You know? It's like American Idol. It's my gift to be the American Idol. Then you listen to him sing, and you're like, I don't think that is your gift. I don't think that is your... <laughs> don't bless people with gifts you don't have, Okay. So do you have that ability? Do you have a recruiting ability? Do you find people? Do you motivate people? Do you get people involved? That's a gift. Not everybody has it. That's an ability. That's a skill. Do you have interview skill set? Do you discover? Do you research? People like art. People like graphics. These are skills. Evaluating. You have the ability to analyze data, come to conclusion. That's a skill. Planning abilities, strategies, that type of thing. Management, skill. Counseling, encouragement, skill. Athletic ability, clearly, skill. Teaching ability, you know, writing, linguistics, 
then what's your personality? This is another thing. Are you introverted, extroverted? This is low down the list, and I'm going to explain why. Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Are you competitive? Are you cooperative? Are you self-expressive? Are you self-controlled? Do you like variety or do you like routine? Okay? These are all the components that kind of go into understanding yourself. We understand our basic design, then we understand who and what we are. And as we understand, like not like identity-wise, but we understand how we're made, then we can start to move into the things that God has for us. Your experiences, what do you carry as a result of experience? That's another thing. So what have you learned, not as a gift, not as a skill? What have you learned that's not necessarily something that relates to your heart? What have you learned through experience? Okay? I'm not passionate. I told first service, I'm not passionate about cars. But I had to learn by experience how to change a tire. It was a rite of passage where I came from. You were not allowed to grow facial hair until you could change a tire. That's where I come from. Okay? Dude, you, you, you got to keep shaving until you can change that tire. This is the way it was. This is man style. And they'd stand over you, you know. Your uncles and your cousins and everybody come out. They all have a beer in their hand. They'd be standing there. All right, Kevin. Yeah, take the, loosen the lug nuts first. Yeah, okay. All right. Move the jack over. All right, crank it up. That's about good. Now, now spin the, you know. They're standing there showing you how to change a tire. It's like a rite of passage, you know. And how do I learn to change a tire? Because I'm passionate about it? Because I'm spiritually gifted about it? No, it's something I learned from experience. Right? So there are things that you know simply from experience. And here's what I want to say. You have to merge your basic design with your specific design, and you have to shift your personal preferences to match your gifts and abilities. So let me explain that. My personality is more of a background personality. I know it's hard to believe, but it is. My preference is to be that. But my gifts and my abilities are not that. So I take my personality and I transform my personality into my gifts and into my skill. Do you understand that? What we do and what we teach is we become personality driven. So we're all personality driven. Well, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, you know, you may be an outgoing person, but all of your skills and gifts relate to analytical data, right? So nobody wants you, nobody wants to have you come up here and count peanuts for us. Right? So that, that your gift set may not lend itself to the thing that you, you, you want to do. You have to take your personality and put it into your gift set and not the other way around, if I'm making sense. So what we value is we say, oh, you're an introvert. You should do that. Well, you can be introverted and you can be skilled. You can be introverted and you can be gifted. So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm introverted, but I'm definitely not overtly extroverted. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm, I'm not. I like quiet time a lot. I mean, I'm, I, maybe it's because I'm around people so much, but, you know, I, li- I, like my, I like my space. I mean, it's just me. And even when it used to come to churches, I would do all of the strength-finding things that were behind the scenes. I never sought the front end. I never fought it. I never said, oh, I need the front. i got to speak. I am gifted and anointed and appointed by God. I might even be double-jointed. Everybody get out of the way because oh, I need to speak. Usually... Your personality, when it's in conflict with your gifts and your skills, is by design. Now, if you got a personality that matches your skills and matches your, your, uh, your gifts, then okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm trying to explain, because most people are in this state, what I'm telling you, you have gifts and skills, but your personality doesn't match your gifts and skills. You have to transform your gifts and skills, to ma- or your, excuse me, transform your personality to match your gifts and your skills. That's what I'm trying to explain to you, like what, what I'm doing. And not do that. So our gifts and our skills take the paramount over our personality. We bring our personality into that, into that world. That makes sense to you. So don't say, well, 
you know, wow, I really feel compelled or I really feel like maybe you're an introverted person, but you really feel like you're gifted to do outgoing things. And you go, I could never do that because it's not my personality. Your personality is low on the totem pole. Or I'm an extrovert, but I really, my skills and my, my abilities lie, you know, behind the scenes or more, you know, whatever. You know, they're different stages. It's just taking your personality and pushing it into you. You might be gifted at business, but your personality hates business. I hate business, but you're like, but, but I'm really good at it. But I hate it. But you're really good at it. I know, but I hate it. But you're gifted at it. You have revelation and insight. I know, but I hate it. Well, then you need to take your personality and put it in line with your skill set. And with your gift set. You see what I'm saying? I don't know if that makes sense to you guys. I'm hoping it does. Jeremiah says, I'm almost done. Jeremiah says this. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So here's the thing. So it's it's gift set. It's skill set. It's heart set. It's understanding that. Then it's taking your personality and putting your personality into those things and changing your personality until it matches what you're good at. That's the goal. And then it's like, well, what holds us back? There's, so those are the things. There are Christians who know their basic design, and there are Christians who know their basic design and their specific design, and they still can't move forward. So what are some things that keep us from moving forward? Even if I know my basic design, most, I'll just tell you where most people are. Most people, we're going to talk percentages. The percentage of believers, I would say 80% don't even know their basic design. If you can just learn your basic design, you just went to the head of the class. Because most Christians don't either know it or they don't do it. And that's why the church, the church as a body and as a whole, is relatively ineffective. We're called to do certain, but if we don't, we have to learn our basic design. Then I'd say, okay, let's say maybe 20% of, of the believers know their basic design. They know and understand those things that I was talking to you about. And then out of that, uh, probably a fraction of them actually understand their specific design. Let's go 5%. So let's say 5% of the 20% actually know how they're, how they're created and what their purpose is. It's a huge deal in the Bible. Your purpose, your destiny is huge in the Bible. It's a meta theme, but we rarely understand it. We talk about it, but we really don't understand it. But, you know, so you have 5% that understand their specific design, and you probably have 2 or 3% that actually do something about it, or they can't move forward. So there's a percentage of Christians that say, I understand basic design, I understand specific design, I feel like God has a purpose for me, but I can't move forward. Why is that? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. Number one, just say this with me. I need to break up with my mess-ups. Part of the problem, no matter where you go, you get there head first. A baby that is born correctly comes out head first. A baby that is born incorrectly or in crisis, come, comes out feet first, right? And so no matter what we do, we get there head first. And part of the problem, the biggest area of our lives is our thinking. Most of our mess-ups come from the way that we frame our thoughts and the way that we frame our understanding. The biggest area where Christians are messed up, they have messed up versions of the Lord. They have messed up versions of themselves. They have messed up versions of their past, messed up versions of their future. You're, and you're still, you, you can't move forward because you're still married or hugging your mess-up. That's what people do. Yeah, it's true. Come on. It's true. It's true. God wants you to move forward, but you are in love with the mess up. You still want to stay where you are. We have versions of God. What are messed up versions of God? I'm going to give them to you. These are common. These are everywhere. Somebody will probably send me an email. I see God that way. I don't understand why you're saying he's not that way. People see God as grandpa. Not because he's old, but they see his grandpa as someone who's distant from them, but still approving. So they see God as someone who's distant, He's out there, and he approves me. He's just approving. You know, like grandpa, you, ever, you know, grandma, grandpa, grandparents take their kids to the park, and they're just everything the kid does, they just approve. Oh, that's just amazing. 
He fell off the slide. Wow, that was so amazing. That was just crazy. He fell off the slide. You know, so that's like that we, look at, we look at God as like he's a grandparent. He's distant from us. He's not involved in our lives or doesn't want to be involved in our life and stands at a distance, yet he approves of us. That's a bad, that's a messed up version of God. We have another one, a messed up version of God, where we think God is Santa Claus. And everybody's trying to get on the nice list. And if I do these eight things, will I be on the nice list? Will God approve of me? When I'm telling you to do things, this has nothing to do with approval. It has everything to do with activation. Approval's already given. You are loved. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from that love. You are loved and approved. So when I tell you to do something, I'm telling you because it activates. It's a key to the car. You're starting an engine. You're opening a door, right? You don't just go, open sesame, and the door opens, do you? If you have a locked door, you either have to have the code or you have to have the card or you have to have the key. Am I wrong? Right? You're not getting through a locked door unless you have a code, a card, or a key. And so when you have the code, the car, the key, and you put it in there, the door opens. That's what doing these things are. That's the key to open the door. That's the card or the code to open the door. That's the key that starts the engine. Got a beautiful car. It's great. It's your inheritance. You don't know how to drive it because you don't know where the keys are. Or you don't know what key. You don't know if the key goes to the door. You don't know if the key goes to the engine. You don't know if there even is a key. So we have this version of God as Santa Claus trying to get on his nice list. Wondering if he's naughty. Am I naughty today? Am I nice? Am I loved? Am I not loved? Is God in a good mood? Is he not in a good mood? That's a messed up version of God. You cannot earn his love. It's already given. So when you're following the Lord, it has nothing to do with love. You are loved and accepted. You have to see it completely differently. You're doing things, A, for honor. That's the number one thing. And the second is you're doing it for activation. Right? Press to the upward calling in Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to press towards an upward calling. I'm supposed to honor the Lord. So the things that I do, first, it's honor. With no cons- it's just because it honors him. I'm not looking for anything. I just want to bless my father. That's why I do it. And the second one is because I want to get somewhere. And why do I want to get somewhere? Because the Lord wants to get somewhere. You understand that? God is a driving. You have, we want victory because you serve a victorious God. You want success because you serve a God who's never lost. And he's in you. And the God that's in you that's never lost wants to win. The God that's in you that's all he's done is succeed, wants to succeed through you. That's what these things relate to, but it has nothing to do with naughty or nice, getting on his list of naughty or nice. We think that God is a micromanager, so everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. No, it's not. Who told you that? Well, my life is a composite of everything that God wanted to do. No, it's not. No, it is not. God is not micromanaging every situation in the universe. He's empowered you through choices. We live in a system that has fallen. That creates results. We live in a system that has other fallen people. That creates results. You live with a nature that sometimes chooses wrongly. That creates results. We live in a system where the devil is still active. That creates results. None of that has anything to do with God. None of it. God is sovereign and he's delegated authority. The authority of the believer is, again, a meta theme. The heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Why did the earth fall when Adam fell? You ever wonder that? God didn't fall, but the earth fell when Adam fell. Why? Because Adam was in authority in the earth. And what happened when Adam fell, the earth fell, Satan became what? The God of this world. How did Satan become the God of this world? Because the stewardship and the authority was given to Adam, and Adam gave it away. And so Jesus comes, and what does he do? He gets it back. And then as soon as Jesus gets it back, what's he do? He gives it back to us, going to all the world. He didn't give it back to us materially. He gave it back to us spiritually. When he comes again, he's going to give it to us materially. 
but we have rulership and reignship in the spirit in Christ Jesus right now. The last Adam, my first Adam gave it away. Last Adam came, got it back, goes, here you go. Go for it again. Go again. He's the God of go again, isn't he? <laughs> he didn't give us a lecture. He didn't say, now don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. We couldn't screw it up. The Lord got it back for us. We got it. We bear the name of the last Adam. We have authority in his name. We can go forth in his name. That's what we are. God's not micromanaging your life. You're making wrong decisions. You're choosing against him. Maybe it's the devil encroaching upon your territory and you're not aware of it. Maybe it's sinful people doing sinful things. Or maybe it's just a sinful system. It's a sinful system we're in, man. This is a world of hurt. But we're in the world, but we're not of it. So just because the world is a grind that works against people, we're part of a kingdom that works for us. That's why it's important to partner with the kingdom and not the culture, because the kingdom works for you. The culture works against you. Just does. And we have this understanding that God's a masochist. He's up there just looking to blow people's lives up, right? Like he's just hovering. Oh, there's Telly. Waboom! Waboom! You know? Like he's up there just tormenting us, like just deciding to blow people's lives up. People actually have that view. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? That's Job's perspective. The Bible doesn't even say that. Job had bad theology. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the shadow of lights, from the God of light, in whom there is no shadow of turning, from the God of light, in whom there is no shadow of turning. So my point to that is, is if it's not good and perfect, it doesn't come from Jesus. And you need to get that in your mind, and you need to get that in your heart. Don't you go down around blaspheming God's name and carrying his name in an empty way by saying God's doing something if it's not good and perfect? Because your Bible doesn't say that. Don't you accuse God of evil when all he has meant is good? And if you've done that, you need to use the magic word repent. <laughs> you understand that? If it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from the Lord. You say, where did it come from? I don't know where it came from, but I can tell you right now, it didn't come from Jesus. Sinful people, sinful choices, sinful systems, bad devil, but it didn't come from the Lord. Used to be in the early church that when somebody got sick, it was of the devil, and when they got healed, it was of the Lord. In the modern church, if you get sick, it's of God. If you get healed, it's of the devil. So true. We've completely lost our mind on this stuff. And we, what happens is, is the devil infiltrates us with lies. We partner with lies. Those lies become mindsets. Those mindsets become strongholds, and those strongholds become a pattern of thinking and living. Yep. Wherever you go, you got their head first. Wherever you're going, you're going to get their head first. Right. That's why the renewal of the mind is, again, a meta-theme in the Scripture. It's not a little theme. It's a meta-theme. People think God's a narcissist. They're like, it's all about, oh, can you, this God who demands worship all the time, he's just a narcissist. Jesus just thinks it's all about him all the time. There are people who think that way. Like, duh. That's what I want to say. Either if you're a Christian, I'd say Christian dumb. If you're a non-believer and you think that way, I just kind of go, duh. God, I don't want to be too harsh on you because you shouldn't, you, don't, you shouldn't know better. The believer should know better. God, do you think God needs worship? Anybody? He's got 10,000 times 10,000 angels worshiping him day and night. He's got designated angels that just do a certain job. He's got an angel that just swims around the, the, the throne room. And what's this angel doing? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's proclaiming the glory of the Lord in the throne of God. And every time he does, the elders fall. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, by day and by night. And you think he needs your worship? 
You don't understand the concept of worship of all. We're the narcissists. What worship does is it empties us of us, and it, pushes, it makes us focus on someone of higher value than ourselves. Because all we're doing is focusing on ourselves. And when you worship, you're focusing your life upon someone who is worthy of it, and you are literally emptying yourself of you. And what happens when you empty yourself of you? The Holy Spirit begins to fill you. You ever notice that? Huh? Stand here like this the whole time. You don't want to sing. You don't want to worship. You don't want to enter in. You sense nothing. But the minute you go, I give it all to you, Lord. You feel power. You feel the presence. That's what worship is. God's not a narcissist. Who told you that? Completely stupid thinking. If Christians think like that, man, you guys need to repent. God is not, it's not about the Lord. It's a, it's, we, don't get, we don't have to worship, and we get to. We, he doesn't need our worship. We need to worship him. He allows us to worship him because we need it. Do you understand that? We need to worship him. The Lord's like, look, dude, I don't need worship. He told David, if I needed something, I'm not telling you. If I needed worship, David, I'm not going to come down and say, David, could you get me some worship? I'm really in need. If he needs worship, he'll make his own. The angels don't want to worship him? Fine. Let me make another group of beings that will. You know what? I think I'm just going to call the creation to worship me. So Jesus said, if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. He's not in need of worship. Oh, please worship me. Oh, this is messed up thinking. You've got to break up with your messed up thinking. You've got to see things differently. Messed up versions of ourselves. We, this is it. I'm, I'm closing. You have, we, what are the messed up versions of ourselves? Our messed up, we, have, we have a version of ourselves that is who others say we are. There's so many people that live their life based upon who other people say they are. There are people who live their life based upon what their past says they are. There are people who live their life based upon who their flesh wants to be. <laughs> you, mind, you know what I'm talking about. There's the Jesus version of you, and there's that little deviant side of you that wants to be all of that, right? Oh, come on. It's all right. I had a guy talking to me about music recently, and I was talking to him about music. He's like, you know, I just think that Christian music is boring, and worship, it's kind of boring, you know? And he's telling me the kind of music he likes. I said, well, it's not boring. It's because the kind of music you like feeds the flesh. And I said, when I listen to that, I said, my flesh goes, I love it. Give me more, you know? So, but I cut those areas off of my life because those areas are feeding my flesh. They're not feeding my spirit. You understand, right? Am I the only one here that sees that and understands that? And so I was just telling him, I said, it has nothing to do with it being boring. It has to do with your perspective. You have an appetite for flesh and not for spirit. That's the difference. Oh, yeah. Let's just be real. Well, I just can't get married because I can't be faithful to, to one woman because you have an appetite for flesh and not for spirit. Let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is. Let's stop calling it spiritual. Let's stop putting labels on it. Let's call it for what it is. That's right. That's right. Flesh, listen, man, we all got flesh. We all got hungers for flesh. You know, we're all like, oh, yeah, you know. It's like, you know what it is? It's like a zombie, right? So there's this dead side of you that's just like kind of laying there. And we're like dragging around this gurney with this dead person on it. Everywhere we go, that's what the Bible says. I drag around, the Bible says, I drag around the body of death. Everywhere I go, I'm dragging this dead dude with me, you know? And then something happens that feeds the dead dude or the dead dude likes, and he just sits right up. Is that Jay-Z? Get down. No. Is that my ex-girlfriend? You know, it's like this thing just sits right up on the, on the table, man. Zombies. 
We carry around a zombie, a body of death. You just got to be aware of it. You got to be aware of it. What happens, your flesh gets moving, and you don't, their flesh, your flesh doesn't want to stop. Let's just be clear. Oh, am I the only one? I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're, but when, you're, when you start getting that little boop, that little flesh thing going, and then it's like, hey, it's time to go to church. I'm not going to church. I'm going out party. Whatever, whatever your deal is, I don't know what your deal is, but flesh does not want spirit. The Bible says they're diametrically opposed. It says the mind that thinks according to the flesh is the enemy of God. In other words, a fleshly or a carnal mind does not care about God and actually plots against him. So your fleshly mind, if you get in the mind of Christ, you have the spirit of the mind of Christ, and you see things entirely differently. If you have the walking around in the carnalness of the flesh, that mind is actually going to war against the Lord. It's going to plan things that God doesn't want planned. Can I get a witness? <laughs> We're broken. And we need Jesus. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. We're just messed up, man, and we need Jesus. So instead, who we say, are, listen, you don't have the ability to even define you. Nobody, say this way, no one, no one has the right to define me but Jesus. You understand that? You don't get to define you. Nobody defines me but Jesus. Nobody. I don't have the right to define me. The Lord defines me. And I willfully choose his definition of me, and I embrace it, and I live towards it. People want to clean up their lives. This is another thing. They want to clean up their lives. They're like, well, i got to clean up my life, and then I'm going to get my identity straight. If you get your identity straight and you live towards your identity, your life will clean up. When you start seeing yourself as a son or a daughter of the highest, you see yourself on purpose with a purpose and a hope and a future in Jesus, and you understand you're accepted and loved, and you live towards that, your life will clean up, and you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how all of this nonsense that... that, that traps you just goes away just the thought right and then he says this last thing i have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms this is how we get there right so we have to understand and we have to do things we have to get rid of our messed up views we have to adopt the right views and we got to say this breakdown creates breakthrough right i have this day set you over the nations to do what root out pull down destroy throw down and plant jeremiah 110 what has he set you over? God's idea is he sets you. All of us have been set over something. God sets us over five basic things. Faith, family, finance, future, and friendship. So all of us have those five basic things that, are our, that we are required to steward. Right? Those are just basics. There's others, but those are basics. Those are the things that we're supposed to bring into alignment with the Lord. So what do we do? We have to find these things in our lives. If you want to move forward, you, the Bible says this, before you can ever build and plant, you have to root out. We want to build and we want to plant. We actually don't even want to build and plant. We want to inherit the building and we want to harvest the field. But the Bible doesn't say that, right? It says we have to build and it says we have to plant. But the Christian ideal is, oh, I just want the building and I just want to harvest. So that's it. Actually, don't let me even harvest it. Just bring it to me in a bushel basket. I'll, I'll just take it right out of your hand. You know? The things that God does requires partnership. So it looks like this. You have to root out. What do you got to root out? You got to root out bad habits, bad thinking. You got to root this stuff out. You can't build. You can't plant. You can't reap. You can't inherit as long as you're entertaining or living dominantly by bad habits. What are bad habits? People, places, and things. The things, some of the things would be your attitudes. You got bad attitudes. You got bad thoughts, bad belief systems. You got to root that out. You got to pull down what? Pull down your altars. What's an altar? Anything that puts, puts itself in front of Jesus, right? What's the altar that you put in front of Jesus? What is it? I'll use an easy one. 
right? You're going to pick on me because I only come to church once a month. Kevin, is that what you're going to do? Well, yeah, I am actually. What's your altar? What altar do you bow at that keeps you from coming to the place that God would have you to be? Is it your time? Do you bow at the altar of your time? My time means everything to me. What, what, I mean, this gets real, right? We're going to get in your couch. We're going to have a little session here because this is, this, is, this is face-to-face. God will speak to you face-to-face on this. Where's my altar? What is it in my life that prevents me from doing the things that God wants me to do? What altar do I bow at? You have to destroy. You have to destroy what's destroying you. What does that look like? Is fear destroying you? Destroy fear. Every time fear interferes on yourself, act in the opposite spirit. If fear is accusing you or are coming at you, speak faith. Destroy what is destroying you. If fear is preventing you from doing something that you know you're supposed to, do it anyway. Say it with me. Do it afraid. Right. Do it anyway. You have to destroy what is destroying you. Then you have to throw down. What do we throw down? Everything we've been carrying, right? I had a vision when I was a young believer and I was trying to get on a train. The Lord was putting me on a train. And um, I, I got on the train and I was going to the next train. And the Lord was already there and I was way behind and the train was getting ready to leave and I was carrying bags. And I woke up. And I'm like, what does that dream mean? And the Lord goes, you're going to put your bags down anytime soon, Kevin? You're going to keep carrying the bags? You're going to keep carrying all this stuff? You know, I mean, I don't know what you carry, but I had to deal with myself on what I carried. What are you carrying? What weighs you down? What are you carrying? Some people are carrying guilt and shame from 30 years ago, right? They're carrying a failed marriage. Oh, I'm just good if all that failed, that marriage had succeeded. You're just running around carrying it. You're carrying whatever, whatever it may be. You're carrying something. Guilt, shame, identities given to you by others. You're carrying things. You're carrying what people did to you. You're carrying what you did to others. You're carrying something. The Bible says throw it on the ground. It says throw down the weight. When are you going to throw it down? That's what it says. God's not making you carry. You don't carry anything you don't want to carry, Christian, so you know. Jesus isn't making you carry anything. The only thing we carry is his presence. And his burden is easy and his yoke is light. That's the only thing we carry. If you're carrying something, you're the only one that's carrying it. He's not making you carry anything. So you're carrying guilt of a failed relationship, throw it down. Go to the future. Then it says build and plant. So you got to build. So this means work, guys. So we got to deal with these areas of your life. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's not about getting everything right. It's, getting, it's trying to get most things right and get moving in the right direction. The whole goal is to get moving, right? And so then, then you got to build and plant. One of the things you got to build, you got to put a foundation down. you got to dig. you got to work. When you build, you work. You work. I was a building contractor for a long time, right? And my wife used to call me. This is, ladies, you'll appreciate this, and you'll understand. Why do men get mad when, when we call them? So, like, usually I'd be in the middle of something. So, like, I'd be mixing drywall, or I'd be up in the ceiling, and sweat would be pouring down my face, you know? And I'm in the middle. So construction is angry work. It's not happy. You're not happy. Nobody, nobody's doing construction, and they're singing songs. That, that just doesn't exist, Right? And so Sherry would be calling me, like, oh man, Sherry's calling, what she need? I'm up there, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Um, you know, hey, I'm at the store and I'm buying curtains and I was just wondering if I should get the red ones or the blue ones. And I'm going to send you a picture. I'm like, I don't care what you get, just get the curtains. She'd go, then she'd call me back and she'd go, you know, it would be nice if you were just a little bit nicer to me. You know, I do so much for you. And, I, and I'm, I'm up holding the ceiling up. I'm like, I know you do. Sweat, dirt, grime. She's like, I do so much for you. <laughs> and I don't ask for much. All I ask is that you treat me nicely. I'm like, I'm going to try. So it's, 
Kind of like that, yeah. Building is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. It requires work. Building a foundation down. When we all want to harvest the field or we want the harvest already there. But, you know, so it's like if I look at my backyard and I go, and you guys come over to my house or whatever and I see the grass and I'm like, I'm believing God for a corn crop to grow in that backyard. And you're like, woo, we agree with you, pastor. Corn crop's going to grow in that backyard five years from now. Where's that corn crop? I don't know, man. I've called that crop in. I believe God for that crop. I've declared over that crop. I've walked this field and spoken to the ground and told that crop to come up. But the Lord would say to you, Kevin, have you ever considered clearing the field? Have you ever considered plowing the field? Have you ever considered sowing the field? And have you ever considered tending the field? And then just maybe then you'll get that corn crop. You know, we don't, we don't ever tend a field. We don't ever sow the field. We don't ever plow the field. But we expect this harvest to come and we've done virtually nothing. Do you understand that? So if you want to build and plant, you've got to realize that it requires something. You've got to deal with all of this junk, right? You guys, we have the potential to go to an entirely different level. We have the potential to like just, it doesn't mean everything's perfect. Your life is going to go like this, right? So here's your life. Here's your life in Jesus. You're up, you're down, boom, but then you're up again, then you're down, then you're up again, down. Your peaks are going to keep going up. You ever heard of a bell curve? You ever do stock markets, the, the bell curve is what you want. You want the bell curve. And then when you get the top of the bell curve, you want another bell curve. Then you get the top of the bell curve, you want another bell curve. That's the Lord. He gives us that. If we'll follow him, we'll continue to go on a bell curve and we'll continue to move from glory to glory. I didn't say there's no dips. You're going to have dips, but your highs are going to be greater than your lows if you will follow the Lord. This is his promise. This isn't, this isn't fantasy land. This is reality. This is truth, right? I've had a lot of lows, but my highs are way bigger than my lows. And I've had some bad lows, Bad lows, but the highs are way better than the lows. So, amen? All right, if you're watching us by live stream, we're very grateful for you. We're very honored that you would take the time, and I want to just talk to you just for a second. Just give me two minutes, and I want to just talk to you. In order to have a harvest, Jesus is harvesting people right now. The Bible says that there's a, there's a verse in the scripture that says the harvest is past and we are not saved. God is doing something in the earth right now. He's drawing people to himself. He's pulling people to himself. But it says there's going to come a time when the harvest time is going to be over. And those people that are left and lost without, without receiving Christ are going to have that lament. They're going to say, hey, I'm not saved. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, you are not part of God's family. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you're outside of his purpose. You're outside of his design. You're outside of everything that he's created for you to be. But it doesn't have to stay that way. The Bible says this. Say, what's my problem? I'll tell you your problem. We all have the same problem. It's a sin problem. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Sin separates. That sin has separated us. I've heard people say to me, hey, you know, I want to know God, but I can't find him. I go to look for him, and I can't find him. I feel like he's distant from me, and I feel like I can never see him. The Bible says this, your sins have separated you from the Lord, and your iniquities have caused his face to be hidden from you. God is separated from you because of your sin. God's face cannot be found of you because you carry another side of sin, which is iniquity. But it doesn't have to stay that way. The Bible says this. The wages of that sin is death or eternal separation. But the gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the antidote and the remedy for the sin problem. And there is no other. So the Bible says if you will believe in your heart and you will confess your, with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be brought out of darkness. You'll be brought into light. You'll be brought into God's family, and you'll be given a hope and a future, not just a temporary future, but an eternal future. 
And if that's you, we want to give you, I want you to pray 45-second prayer with me. And this 45-second prayer is going to change your everything. We're going to pray together as a group, and we want you to pray together with us at home and just go for it. You say, I don't know. i got to think about it. There's nothing to think about. This is the gift you don't turn down. This is not something you consider. This is something you embrace. Today's your day. So let's just go for it. We're going to pray. Pray with us. Open your heart. Say the words. No big deal. It is a big deal, but it's easy for you. Jesus has done all the work. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I believe you came, you died, and were resurrected for me. I don't understand it, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that, yeah, we celebrate you. We applaud you. We honor you. And we bless you. And we're going to bless one more. We're going to say one more prayer. And then we're going to end the stream. But I, we want to pray this prayer over you as well. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.